Turn your Bibles over to uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 14 and 15. For there, I'll, uh, you can follow along and I'll read. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity to, to, to preach, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd uh, speak through me, Lord, and that you'd, uh, that you'd speak or that you'd uh, help me to convey the message that you've laid on my heart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us uh, throughout the rest of the service. I pray for all of these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in many games that I play, I... Uh, Communication is a key part in it. Um, and one of, those, one of the terms that we use is callouts. Now, callouts is when you communicate to your team something that, the, that your team doesn't essentially know about. Say, if I, uh, if, there's a, if I see an enemy here or an enemy somewhere on the, uh, the map or the, the place that we're playing on, but my teammates don't know where they are. I would call out to my team or I would communicate to my team that, oh, I saw someone there. Oh, I know he is there. You should be careful there. You should maybe watch out there. There's an enemy there. And uh, this is commonly used in a lot of games. And not on, it's not only limited to games, but it can also be used in the workplace, at school, anywhere you go. Communication is key. Specifically in games, uh, this communication can lead to a win or a loss. It could be the deciding factor whether your team wins or loses. Now, if we look back, uh, John the Baptist was called to bear witness of the coming of Jesus, to preach of his coming. So he was called from the womb to, uh, to, to preach of Jesus because he was uh, coming later. And we can see that in verse 15. Now, when I was looking at verse 15, the, the word or the phrase bear witness sort of stood out to me. Now, I searched the definition up, and it's the definition of bear witness is to show that something exists or is true. Now, we can see this with John as he's, go, as he's constantly preaching about Christ. He is... Uh, constantly trying to show proof that Christ is coming, that Jesus is on his way to, to save his people. And even after he meets Christ, he continues his ministry and continues preaching and baptizing in the name of Jesus. Now, something that... Uh, is common uh, in our lives is that sometimes we don't uh, go out and 
we, uh, we don't go out and uh, bear witness of his name. Um, we, we are called um, to, to preach of his name, but we don't, uh, we don't show that he is real, essentially. We are, uh, we are at work or at school, and we, we're, we're not really bearing witness of his name. He, uh, sometimes we don't show proof that he exists. Sometimes uh, we don't even speak a name, or we don't mention church or anything in our lives. And uh, I just want to point out that, uh, that John is, or we, sh we should ex follow the example of John and sort of uh, show that Christ is real in us. Because as saved people, we know Christ and we know that he is in our hearts. Now, we don't really have to be any anything special to do this, really. Um, in verses 19 to 23, I want to point out, uh, if we could, uh, I'll read it here. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Now, you can see John was nothing, he, he was no one special. He, wasn't, he didn't have any sort of special education or uh, a certain degree to, to, to preach, really. He was just preaching what God had laid on his heart. And the same can be said about us. We don't really need a certain degree in anything or certain uh, education to, to simply bear witness of Christ, to, to show that he exists in our lives. Now, uh, the question I want to ask today is, do we live our lives keeping all of God's blessings to ourselves? Uh, all, all of the things that he's done for us, uh, whether it be um, several blessings in your lives, the people that he's put in your lives, the uh, different, uh, different th uh, essentials like housing, food, clothing, do we, do we share those uh, and make testament that he, is, uh, he gives us these essentials that we need? Do we keep them to ourselves or do we share it with others? Do we give glory to his name whenever something happens? Or do we um, uh, share, our, share to someone who's in need? And uh, make testament that he is in our hearts. Going back to the uh, call out illustration, are we calling out to our team that Jesus loves us? and that he can guarantee us a place in heaven? Are we being like John and bringing the gospel to our workplaces and to our schools? Are we bringing the, all these things, the, all the things that we learn in church, are all, all these blessings that, we, that God has placed in our lives, are we giving glory back to him and showing other, the people around us, he is alive in me? Whether it be sharing our testimony, inviting our friends or colleagues to church, or simply 
giving praise to God when something happens? Do we bear witness of Christ in our life? Evening, everyone. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 5. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of James, then you know that a lot of it is about living the Christian life with patience and enduring through trials. So when everybody's at James chapter 5, uh, we're going to be reading verse 11, and then I'll pray. So I'll just wait for everybody to get there and... Seems everybody's there, so the Bible says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And I'll pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just give me your strength right now. I pray that uh, you'd help me to hear this message as much as anyone does, because I need it too. I pray that everybody who's here tonight, and that everybody who's watching online, or that watches the archive sermon, can be blessed and can just be encouraged and that they can pass that on to others from hearing this message. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've titled the message for tonight, Live a Faithful Life Before Your Trials Come, Not Because of Them. And for the main part of the message, as you might have already guessed, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Job, which is just before Psalms in the Old Testament. So if everybody wants to turn to Job chapter 1, now, while you're turning there, I'll tell you that for the sake of time, I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot of the verses. So I'll just begin, and you can follow along as you will. So if we see in Job chapter 1, a lot of you probably know this story. Um, Job is called perfect and upright, and he's a man that feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He had a lot of substance. God blessed him with huge huge substance. He had a lot of possessions. He had a great family. He was healthy, and he had the greatest substance in all the land. Um, Verse 5, if you wanted to look at that, is interesting to me, because it shows Job even practicing intercessory prayer. Uh, When Job's family would feast and would enjoy the spoils that God had blessed Job with, Job's family was prayed for. Job prayed for them, just in case they had sinned. So what we can tell from this is that Job was living upright before God. Um, Now in verse 8, we see Satan saying to God, after God says that Job is walking upright, I'm going to quote verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Now, Satan hears this, and he makes a challenge to God. He basically says, well, why would Job fear you? Why would Job fear anything from you? You blessed him. You give him everything that he needs. You give him everything that he wants. What reason does he have to curse you? Why would he? But if you take it away, Job will curse you. Now, you know that what happens after. Messengers come to Job. God says to Satan in verse 12, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now messengers come to Job and they tell him, Job, we have bad news. Your family, your servants, and your flocks are either dead or gone. I think about this. And even before I was saved, I... 
I looked at this book, and I understood it, and I heard about it. Job was living upright, and yet he lost everything. I can't imagine how I would react if I lost everything like that. All of a sudden, everything that you loved, everything that was near to you, almost everything, was gone. And this is a guy who was living right. Now, Job's reaction to all of this is stunning. If you look at the last half of verse 21, the Bible says that Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse 22, it says, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I don't know how he could react like that. If you lose everything and you've been faithful, how can that be your reaction? I, I just don't know. But when I look at this, I take it back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll read this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. So the message that I get from this is that the reason why Job could endure this type of trial, and this type of loss, where he lost everything, is because his faith was already strong to begin with. Job loved God before the trials came. He loved God before God got him through trials. And because of that, when the worst trials came into his life, Job was ready to face them because he had a foundation of faith for God. So if you know the book, you know that there's way more. Um, there were detours. Job got his eyes off of God for a time and onto worldly wisdom. Now, Job didn't break, but he seemed to bend. But in the end, Job did love God. God came back to him. God showed him things. And the result was Job being blessed by God with double what he'd had before. Now, I want to ask everybody here, and this includes me, a few questions. Why are you faithful? And why do you love God? Is it because he's given you things, a family that loves you, possessions, or a money, a fortune, anything like that? Do you love God for those things? Or do you truly love God? because of who he is and what he means to you. Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you, if you are, praise the Lord. If you're not, will you start today? You might say, well, I'll start tomorrow. Don't start tomorrow. Tomorrow's dangerous. If you say you'll start tomorrow, eventually tomorrow will be today, and you'll be saying, I'll start tomorrow. Start today. Are you meeting with God in prayer every day? If you're not, start today. Now, in a verse that is a life verse for many, and it provides such comfort, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So, if you truly love God, ground yourself each day in your beliefs and devotions and purpose that your faith will stay strong in advance no matter what trials will come to you. And then when those dark times come, with God's help, you will be able to endure them and get through them. And God will bless you in the end, just like he did with Job. Can you please turn uh, your Bible to Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. Please follow along with me. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would, I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Today, I'm going to be talking about not being average for the Lord. When I was young, or in a sense, in my sense, younger, I was just an average guy. I was average in school, I was average in the gym, I was average in PE, pretty much average in everything. But then I looked around me, I looked at my friends, and see how they were doing. I noticed something. They're all special at one thing, something that they're good at. But then I looked at me. Nothing any special, nothing in particular for me. And I realized being average, that was the one thing I hated the most. In school, I would maybe average a B, sometimes an A. In PE, I was never first, second, third pick. I was either fourth or fifth. But if you know me, I'm very competitive and I hate losing. And at times when I do lose, I get frustrated. But it wasn't really the fact that I got frustrated at losing. It was the fact that I got frustrated because well, we lost because of me, because I was useless, because I made the mistakes that cost the team. Now, the reason why I messed up is because I wasn't really trying. And I bash myself whenever I do mess up, and bash myself because the reason why is because I want to improve. I never, and I never want to commit the same things to help avoid that situation ever again. You got to beat yourself up to do better. And in turn, with that mindset, I did not want to be average anymore. If you could please pray with me. Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray that you would give me the strength that you could uh, speak through me, Lord. And uh, give me the confidence. And uh, thank you for this day, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You cannot, get good, you cannot get better if you do the opposite of your goal. When you try to build muscle, what is the first thing, as an audience, do you guys think of? First step, build mu building muscles. The gym, yes, putting that time and effort in the gym. But what also coincides with going to the gym? Eating well. Eating well. The diet. You need a good balanced diet in order for your body to repair itself and build stronger. You cannot eat candy or donuts to get the physique you want, just like you cannot sin to get closer to God. It says here in Matthew 6:45, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. It is obvious that we cannot serve God if we sin. But then why do we always come back and indulge back into it? The simple reason is we're not putting the time and effort to study and pray. If we cannot do those basic principles, studying and praying, then how do we expect to be on fire for the Lord, let alone being an average Christian? And lastly, um, for my last point, you will stay average if you do not try. Um, around November last year, I took my Army Reserve uh, exam. Um, it, was uh, it was included with two exams, the FORCE and CFAT. The CFAT was the knowledge, all the math, problem-solving English. The FORCE was the physical. As I entered into the facility or the base, to the, right me, to the right of me was a hall with a bunch of offices, and right in front of me was like the leisure, the leisure room where everybody sits down. And along with the tables and couches was my also my fellow applicants. And two memorable ones were one dude that basically looked like Brother Dave, you know, shave, 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 his, uh, shave his facial hair off, take off a couple of years, and that's him. And instead of carpentry, he did plumbing. And he actually, I got a real red seal, actually, 
he actually got a red seal, and it was impressive for that age. And uh, there was a, surprisingly, another guy. He was the same age as me. He was tall but scrawny, and he had glasses on. Later, after finishing those two tests, uh, everybody met back in the entrance area, and the recruiters slash testers started calling them into the office one by one. And it was my turn. Mr. Omonia, please come back to my office. And then we, all, then we walked in. And then we sat down opposite sides from each other with a table separating us. And he looked at me. And it was two minutes of dead silence. Nothing. The reason why, because he was looking at my file. Okay? He was looking, looking at my file. And he, he looked at my results, and he looked straight at me. He says, Mr. Omonia, you did not make it. These reasons why. I got average in uh, the physical. I got average in English. I got average in problem solving. And I lacked the skills in math. And as I heard that, my heart sank. My, files, my face frowned. I had a mask on, so my face was, my eyes were up here, but my mouth was like, I, was, I couldn't show any emotions, so it was good. So I walked out of the facility and I head towards my car, where my parents were residing inside it. And I could tell my parents already knew the results of me taking the exam. As I enter in, my dad asked a rhetorical question. Did you make it? I said no. And I said to him, surprisingly, there was a guy my age that made it. And he made it into an analysis, technology, something, something smart that required a lot of brains. And I said to him, man, he must have just been born smart. And my dad said, no. He said, there is, Dennis, there is no one born smart. They just work hard for it. The young guy probably studies, studied for hours, trying to get into the position he was and get into the job. Your goal was to get to do, to go for the bare minimum. You didn't try. That's why you failed. I was content with just being average. It says here in uh, Revelation 3, uh, 15 and 16, I know thy works that art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So, th so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You, you see, the recruiter didn't want me because I was average. I think they saw someone who had potential, but the thing is, I didn't try. That's why I didn't get in. Just as God can use someone, but if they're not willing to try, he cannot use them. Basically meaning average. Someone who's doing the bare minimum, the Christian who's doing bare minimum. The only time they pray is because there's food in front of the table. The recruiter saw potential in me just as God sees the potential in you. You just have to be willing to put in the effort to not be average. You can put in the effort by reading your Bible every day studying it and meditating upon it, going into having a prayer life to build a relationship with God and, uh, staying uh, and not staying stagnant in your Christian life, always trying to improve your daily walk with God. These steps, these steps would, uh, will help you on a path to be on fire for the Lord, but you just have to be willing to put in the effort. I would like to end with this. You cannot get better if you're doing the opposite of your goal and you will stay average if you do not try. Let us not be average in the sight of our Lord. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll be reading just one verse. So that's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us.
Okay, before I start, I'd just like to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for giving, this, giving me this opportunity to pray. I'd just like to pray that you would empower me, Lord, just to speak what you want me to say, Lord, and you would give me strength, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, the INEOS 195 Challenge was an attempt in 2019 by Kenyan athlete Elliot Kipchoge to break the two-hour mark for running the marathon. The organizers for this event put a lot of preparation and planning for the techniques used in this run. Pacing lasers were used to guide Kipchoge and his group of 41 pace markers. Seven pace markers at a time would form a V-shaped formation around Kipchoge to help with wind resistance. The, the route was specifically chosen to ensure that no additional effort would be wasted against wind or incline. Drink was given to him through bike instead of him having to waste time going to a station and grabbing one. And there were so many more techniques like uh, that ranged from the clothes and shoes he wore to the elevation and even the time zone difference from Kenya to Vienna. Now, in the end, Kipchoge, who had been running for over 20 years of his life, was able to become the first person to surpass the two-hour marathon barrier. I'm sure that everyone here has run before whether it be because you were late to a meeting or appointment, or you needed to catch a bus, or maybe you've never run before, I don't know. <laughs> but as Christians, we all are already in a race. Because of your salvation, the moment you got saved, you are entered into a Christian's race. With each race that is run, there is preparation prior to running. Now, no one expects to run a race well without any practice or preparation. So how exactly do we train for a Christian's race? If you look back in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us. As preparation to running a Christian race, we need to lay aside distractions. Now, just by reading this first half of the verse, that, could have been, that, that point seemed kind of obvious. It's obvious that sin is the biggest thing that prevents us from developing a relationship with God. Growing up in church, or within the Christian family, or even just by listening to your conscience, it's easy to identify what sin is. But by looking at the verse, sin is not the only thing it mentions. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which does so easily beset us. Notice how it doesn't only mention sin, it also mentions weight. The reason why I didn't say this point was called laying aside sin is because not all distractions are sinful. Things like watching TV or sports or spending leisure time, all these things are not bad in and of themselves. But as soon as these activities start affecting us, as soon as they start influencing our lives, as soon we as we start putting prior priority on these things, they become a weight. They become a distraction. And we must realize what weights we are carrying that are hindering us from running the race God has called us to run. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We must understand we cannot rely on both God and the world to run this race. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters. We cannot run this race by holding on to God and things of this earth. So we talked about how to prepare for the race. Now, we need to understand how to run this race. When running the Christian race, 
we have to run without turning back. Notice the verse says, let us lay aside every weight. It does not say set aside, but it says lay aside. Now, just by glancing over this quickly, it may seem like just a small difference, just a difference in words. But if I were to replace the word lay with set, in, in the context of this verse, it would mean a completely different thing. If I were to set something aside, it, mean, it would imply that I would put something off and at a later time I would return to it. But if I were to say lay aside, it would mean that I would put off, I would reject, I would put away, I to put away. It would mean that I would not return to what I had laid aside. If Kipchoge were to have returned to some outdated training method and outdated dieting plan, rather than one a mentor would have given him that would, was optimized for his run, Kipchoge would have never been able to run that marathon in under two hours. In this race that we run, once we lay aside the distractions that hinder us, the weights that hinder us from running, we must not turn back to them. So we know how to prepare for the race, we know how to run for the race, and lastly, I would just like you to notice that we need to run the race, not walk. When people enter a race, they don't enter aiming to fail. They enter hoping to win the race and to finish. As Christians, we are not all called to run the same race. Not every Christian is called to become a pastor. Not every Christian is called to become a missionary. When each and every one of our races, there's something in common. One easy thing to think of is the Great Commission. All Christians are commissioned to do the Great Commission. We are all commanded to spread the word of God. In Pastor White's message last week, he said this, if we could be taken and dangled over the pit of hell for five minutes so that we would see and we would hear and we would smell what's going on inside of hell, it would change our lives forever. Forever, we'd be looking and saying, are they saved or are they lost? Forever, we'd be looking for ways to share our faith and invite more people to Christ. You see, the only reason why we're able to run this race in the first place is because Jesus paid the price on the cross. If you look in um, verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 12, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. As Christians, shouldn't we feel a sense of urgency for the people who are lost. The person who died for us, who, who saved us, has commanded us to share the word. Doesn't that provoke us to do something about it? We must run, not walk, in the race that God has given us. Whatever your race may be, you must run. But before you may run, we need to examine ourselves. We need to search ourselves for any weights and distractions that are hindering us from running. We need to lay them aside, putting them away, not returning to them. And we must run with an urgency. And I, I challenge you to look, just to look at our own lives and to ask ourselves, have we been running? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.